human mind, body, emotions, and spirit are more powerful than anyone can imagine. And we will learn to utilize each of them to the maximum and learn to make decisions about what we want and how we want to feel. What a concept. And one we will explore today on the Self-Improvement Show with your host, Dr. Irene Conlon. On our program, we'll address who you are, why you're here on this planet, how to go within, how to come to know what you believe, and why. Now, here's your host, Dr. Irene Conlon. Welcome to the Self-Improvement Show. This is Irene Conlon. Today, I crossed the city line, and I'm broadcasting from the studios of Voice America in Phoenix, just a stone's throw away from Scottsdale, so it's not really a big deal. They have the most talented, gracious, helpful staff, and it's always fun to come here, so it's, it's nice to be in the studio at Voice America again. Take a look today at Self-Improvement Blog. Today's guest is featured there, so you can see her picture. Uh, we also have an article about exercise addiction, which is our topic for today, and we have a Q&A with Jamie Smart, who's an author of a, on a virtual book tour, and today's the Self-Improvement Day to host him. His book is Clarity, Clear Mind, Better Performance, Bigger Results, and it's a good one. Uh, if you're really interested in self-improvement, I recommend that you get it. Jamie's going to be a guest on our show on April 25th, so you might want to put that on the calendar. We all need more clarity of mind. I have never met anyone who thought they didn't. Speaking of April, April is National Humor Month, and we're going to be more humorous than usual. Sometimes we're not too funny, but you know we try at least to be pleasant. Uh, we're going to be put more humor certainly in the blog, and to kick off the month, we're going to have Steve Wilson, who is a bona fide joyologist, and it's going to be a fun kind of show. When we hear the word addiction, we generally think of alcohol or drug addiction, but there are many forms of addiction, um, and the addiction we're going to examine today may surprise you. Uh, because we're going to talk about exercise addiction. Now, how on earth can you get addicted to exercise? Of course, that's my question. There are many people I can't imagine being addicted to exercise, um, but then maybe I can get a little more inclined. In these days of ever-increasing obesity and the sedentary lifestyles that we live now, we hear more and more about the need for a healthy diet, and more exercise. We see programs like The Biggest Loser, and we see what kind of incredibly strenuous exercise programs they have, and we're led to believe that that's what we're supposed to do to be healthy. Gyms are springing up everywhere. You can see one almost any place you drive. Exercise DVDs and games are proliferating, and... Stylish workout clothes are a huge business, pun intended. Some people seem to live for and in the gym. Has the exercise pendulum swung too wide is the question. Can too much exercise be harmful? And if so, how is it harmful? Today we have Dr. Vicki Burkus with us to answer the questions you may have about exercise addiction. 
Dr. Vicki Burkus is the medical director for the Eating Disorder Program at Sierra Tucson, which is a top-line treatment center. Dr. Burkus is board certified in psychiatry and neurology. She has served as medical director for a large eating disorder and substance abuse facility in Florida, was chief scientific officer for American Medical Technologies, was a professor at Oklahoma City University for seven years and had her own private practice for six years. And if you look at your, her picture on the blog, you'll think she must have started when she was 10. She has authored numerous articles and is the author of 10 Commitments to Mental Fitness. She is the past president of the International Association of Eating Disorders Professionals and is actively involved with the Eating Disorders Consortium, the Academy of Eating Disorders, and the National Eating Disorders Association. Pardon the pun, but isn't that a mouthful? She also is a member of the American Society of Bariatric Physicians, the American Psychiatric Association, and the American Society of Addictive Medicine. And what all that tells me is that this woman really knows what she's talking about. It is such a pleasure for me to introduce to you, the listeners, Dr. Vicki Burkus. Dr. Burkus, welcome. Well, thank you. What a nice intro. Well, you have a lot to, to, to tell about. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, when I tell my patients, uh, when I give a lecture and I say, yes, I've had 18 years of college, and I ask them, what do you think I've learned after having 18 years of college? And they just look at me, and I said, I've learned how much I don't know. You know, that that really is true, and yet you know a lot more about eating disorders and addictions than probably most of us, probably any of us who are listening now. You're the medical director of the Eating Disorder Program at Sierra Tucson. Tell us a little bit about Sierra Tucson and a little bit about your program. Okay, well, I've just returned to Sierra Tucson. I've been there now about five months, and ten years ago, I had been there for eight years heading the Eating Disorder Program, and what amazed me is coming back after 10 years, how many of my friends and coworkers were still there? So that tells me a lot about the heart of Sierra Tucson, and I think that's what it's all about. It's about the people. What kind of programs do you have there besides the eating disorder program? We have five different tracks. Those include a pain track, a chemical dependency track, a mood disorder track, a trauma track, and the eating disorder track. Oh, that's a, a a nice wide field, um, and, and tell us a little bit about the eating disorder because I I know though the exercise addiction program comes under that. Right, right. We have uh, a program that is open to males and females, ages eighteen and above, and we have people from all over the world as well as all across the country come in for treatment. And I think one of the things that makes Sierra Tucson so special is that we do have access to the other programs. And what I've noticed in the last 10 years is that the complexity of the patient coming in now to Sierra Tucson is much different and much more uh, intense than the patient I saw 10 years ago. That's interesting. Why do you think that is? You know what, there are so many factors that are increasing the stress level in people's lives. 
I think that we get bombarded with the gotta, gotta, gotta's, whether it's taking care of parents or taking care of kids or trying to perform at a job where cutbacks are happening and we have to answer to so many people. And we feel at points that our life is not in our own control. And and I, it seems that way a lot, especially when you can't get away from people finding you. And some people simply can't turn off their cell phone. They can't stay away from email. And it's a constant bombardment all day long. So it is. that it alone... Is. I mean, I, you know, that alone would would make you feel that you needed some help. And then you raise the bar by adding all the social media and the competition for body image and, and how we're supposed to eat, how we're supposed to dress, how we're supposed to exercise, how we're supposed to, where there's so many more rules than when I was growing up and you just went out to play and you came home to sleep. I know. That's Wasn't that fun? Time. I wish we could do that now. I do, too. Tell, you know, as a specialist in food and exercise addiction, let's start out with this. How do you define addiction? Well, what I see is an ongoing, unrelenting, pervasive level of fear around the lack of doing something or the inability to complete a task. So if someone is crossed over to the realm of compulsive exercise, I sort of look at what are the consequences for that level of obsession or commitment or whatever term you want to use. And what I mean by consequences is that, and I'm talking about all ages, I'm not talking about just um, adolescents or young adults or premenopausal or postmenopausal, I see this across the board. And if someone is putting exercise over their family's needs, over their own physical needs, over their own medical complications, and I've seen patients continue to exercise with stress fractures in both feet. I've seen them continue to exercise when they know they have cardiac abnormalities. I've seen them continue to exercise when they know they're putting themselves at high risk for mortality or morbidity. Now, that's an interesting point. Uh, I'm a watcher of um, oh, the the program. I just <laughs> the Biggest Loser. The Biggest Loser, and they had a they had children on this time, and one of the boys came in in a cast early in the early in the season. He had broken his foot. Now they found exercises for him to do, but you know they didn't cut him any slack. And I'm thinking, oh, I yeah, I really hope he doesn't cause any more damage to that foot. He doesn't seem to. But the message was, it doesn't matter what happens to you; you're going to do this anyway. Right. And and I wonder, you know, is that something that people pick up from shows like that? Where do they get this thought that they absolutely cannot miss? a session of exercise every day? Well, it usually goes along with um, sort of an either a bulimic, which is a need to have some compensatory activity to burn calories they've taken in, or it accompanies sort of an anorexic picture where that gotta, gotta, gotta stays in. And what we know is as the brain starts to starve, if people are restricting food in addition to compulsive exercise, 
is that if you think back to the cavemen, we were really, as humans, taught to eat fast and quick. Because you think about it, if you've been out hunting all day and you're the one that made the kill and the other humans are trying to get that away from you and there's other predators out there and if you don't eat it's going to it's going to go stale we were we were conditioned to eat very rapidly and as much as we could because we never knew if there'd be something else to kill later on and so what happens is is that the body learns to adapt to starvation periods and the brain, which gets starved and it actually loses weight, uh, has an expression of a brain-derived neurotrophic factor. And the, the easy name is BDNF. It's in the, and they've done studies on the rat hippocampus. And what happens is that people who are used to compulsively exercising in a way of walking or in a way of treadmill or in a way of elliptical, their brain, this factor that's released, sort of starts up a foraging behavior. So if you think of the caveman, his whole life was foraging for food. And that meant covering sometimes large areas. That meant on the go, on the go to find food. And what we find is that part of that compulsion in the brain is because of that foraging behavior. So it's transferred to exercise. I eat, so now I've got to go get more. Is it that? Right. And so it's, it's that gotta, gotta, gotta feeling again. Gotta have it, gotta have it. Oh, that's interesting. I want to go into the signs of exercise addiction, but it's time for a break. So let's take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk more with Dr. Vicki Burkus on exercise addiction, so stay tuned. <laughs> Find out what's happening on the World Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at World Talk Radio. Want to know what's going on behind the scenes with your favorite World Talk Radio Network host? How about what's new with our network? Make sure you check out the iRadio blog, a look at what's hot at World Talk Radio and beyond. Visit www.iradioblog.com today. Get the inside scoop on every channel on our network, including breaking news, featured guests, blog posts from our hosts, and much more. Make sure you sign up for our newsletter for even more inside action. Visit iradioblog.com today and stay connected. I'm Martine Rudin, Chief Marketing Officer of Macy's. We're a proud supporter of the March of Dimes. Walking in March for babies is always special. But with your help, we can make this year better than ever as we celebrate 75 years of March of Dimes breakthroughs for babies. Join us in March for Babies to help more moms have full-term pregnancies and healthy babies. Start your team today at marchforbabies.org and March to Help Babies. Listen. The world is talking. The World Talk Radio Variety Channel. You are tuned in to the Self-Improvement Show with your host, Dr. Irene Conlon. 
Got a question for Irene or her guests? Call into our live show at 1-866-613-1612. That's 1-866-613-1612. Connect with Irene via email. Our address is theselfimprovementblog at gmail.com. Now, let's get back to the Self-Improvement Show. Here again is Dr. Irene Conlon. Welcome back to the Self-Improvement Show. This is Irene Conlon with my guest, Dr. Vicki Burkus. We're talking about exercise addiction today. We've, you know, it's interesting that um, Dr. Burkus has pointed out that we're still kind of tied into the caveman need of going after more food when we've just finished eating, and instead of going after more food, we go to the gym to work it off. What are the signs of exercise addiction that you look for, uh, and what leads up to it? Let's put all of that in the same bag. Okay, well, when when someone comes to me at CR Tucson, they're full into their addictive behavior. And I, I'm always curious, so I, one of the questions I always ask someone is, when did this first start? Do you, do you recognize something that might have kicked this off? And I would say in probably 85% of the cases, patients can tell me exactly what it was. Was it a comment someone made? Was it something that someone uh, said when they were trying on clothes or they tried on something or they got on a scale or they started out just training for a sport and because of that vigorous schedule, it just got worse and worse and worse and they felt they could be just a little better, just a little better, just a little better. And then they're off into their addiction. Does it sometimes start with what they call the runner's high. They get all those wonderful feel-good hormones releasing, and they like that. Does that have anything to do with it? Well, that runner's high isn't because of, oh, gee, it's, I'm outside or it's, it's pretty out and I'm feeling good. That runner's high is that ease of the anxiety caused by, say, this foraging um, sort of primal urge that's being satisfied. And so what people experience is, is um, when they say that runner's high and they try to explain it as far as endorphins and what's being released, I think it's more of a brain that is getting certain signals um, that, yeah, you're getting closer to food. You're getting closer to finding the prey. And people continue in a behavior that, in a way, feels good because it's releasing anxiety. Uh, how do people realize that they need help? What would bring somebody into Sierra Tucson? Because I would think they'd think that, oh, my goodness, I'm really hitting it good now. I'm, you know, really, I'm really doing good things for myself. Yeah. There are several things that bring people into treatment. You know, and, and one of the things I think is so hard for people to understand, we don't expect you to come smiling and skipping into treatment. It takes a lot of courage to come into a 45-day program and really be willing to look at yourself. Yes. And I, I give credit to every one of my patients that have taken that risk and completed the program in order to help themselves. And so even though I've had all that training, the patient is still the book. And what patients have told me is that 
it starts out sort of benign, but then there starts to become this feeling of loss of control. And that loss of control leads to them canceling social obligations. It leads to them fine-tuning what they're going to allow in their body. Some of them may revert to high-energy drinks in, in, that are very high in caffeine. Um, and sugar. And sugar. And, you know, what they're realizing is that the more caffeine they're drinking, the more their sleep is effective. And when people replenish the energy in their body, most of that happens in the last third of sleep where their growth hormone is being made. And what if they can't sleep or if they can't do something to ease that anxiety, they're sort of contradicting their, i got to get healthier, i got to get healthier, because what their definition of healthy is is really not correct. You know, there's a, a graphic floating around. I've seen it on a number of websites. I've used it on my own. And this has to do with weight. You know, this terribly, terribly thin young woman is looking at herself in the mirror. And in the mirror images, of course, fat. Is there an image that a person who's addicted to exercise has? Do they look in the mirror and see themselves as flabby? When actually their muscles are, well, probably at this point they're very thin. But, you know, is there this kind of image problem that they have? A lot of them have a body dysmorphic uh, problem. And that means that, you know, for males, which is becoming increasingly um, pervasive, uh, it's that they want the inverted V. They want the small waist, the broad shoulders, the 6 or 12-pack abdominals, and in their minds, it's um, there's always someone that's going to look better, and that's that's intolerable. And so it's that strive for a level of perfection that gives them control in a lot of ways over something that no one else can control. Yeah, is this because? of the media and the way they Photoshop the pictures now, the way they present everyone as model thin or the men as, I don't know the word, um, ripped. Right. Uh, is, is, is this the problem? Are we a society that's just gone image crazy? Or, you know, is this our only definition of self? Is the well, way look, I what we're, look what we're paying athletes. Look what we're paying movie stars. Right. And, you know, it's based on looks. And if you talk to people who have uh, been obese and have lost the weight, and one of the questions I'll ask, are you being treated differently? And they said, absolutely. There's oh, always. definitely a phobia against being overweight in our society. And isn't that interesting that we have a phobia of being overweight, and yet obesity is on the rapid rise? Well, what does that tell you? It tells you that people are so desperate for a sense of feeling good, even if it's for 30 minutes while they're consuming a meal, that they're willing to suffer the consequences. Oh, it's such an interesting opposition of thought. You know, so you have somebody who comes in. Generally, they come in, I am assuming, of their own volition. Well, Where? sometimes, sometimes uh, there's a little coercion by the family or by friends or by a coach 
or they're they're asked not to participate in a team sport at the college level or the high school level until they can get their issues addressed. Oh, somebody loves them then, don't they? They do. They do. You know, where do you start? What do you need to do? How, what, well, I can imagine how harmful it is to the body, but, ex- you know, what is the the real harm that you see that manifests uh, in an exercise addiction? Well, I sort of look at it, and I'm going to date myself. That's when okay. I was at Disneyland, they had ticket books. Remember? They had the oh, I do. to the e-tickets, and the kids only cared really about the e-tickets because at that time they only had the Matterhorn. <laughs> we just go back and forth, right. around and around and around. Well, I look at the body sort of like that ticket book, where the e-tickets are the heart, the lungs, the kidneys. And the, B- and the D-tickets might be the brain and... Um, you know, then as you move up, the C, the B tickets might be the immune system, might be the reproductive system, uh, might be the endocrine system. So the body's goal is to keep the person alive, and that's the heart, the lungs, the kidney mainly. Right. What we know is when people compulsively exercise, they're losing body fat, and body fat is, very, is a very active um, organ in the body. It's not just something that, that sits there, um, as most women feel it is, but um, it's very busy making what's called cytokines, which are our major sort of defense against inflammation. And so when people restrict or compulsively exercise and reduce their percent body fat, they're sending themselves up to be very sensitive or very open to infection. So their little scrapes and scratches don't heal, do they? No. Well, there was a ballerina years ago that um, got her eating disorder under control, but had such, and as she was refeeding slowly and getting back towards her um, goal range, um, she caught pneumonia and died because she didn't have an immune system that was functioning. So it hits your immune system because you have no fat. Right. Um. I can imagine that you have all kinds of limited brain function. Well, your brain, obviously, if you're way below body, your normal body weight, uh, and that's what we use for anorexias, it's going to be different in the DSM-5, but for right now we use a 15% below normal body weight. Um, yeah, your brain, they can show an MRI between a healthy brain and someone who's um, anorexic, and you can see actual loss of brain matter. And what those are those are pretty serious. Um. It is, and, and you said, "What's the first thing we de- need to do? We need to get calories into the body." Now that's got to be very difficult when people are really wanting to be thin and taut and not necessarily healthy. How do you get them to take in calories? And I guess before that, the question is. Is exercise addiction usually linked with an eating disorder? So they, they're either bulimic or anorexic. When it gets to the point where people can't stop exercising, it, they usually have several rules about what they allow themselves to eat. And they go down a road that we call orthorexia, where everything has to be pure, where everything has to be organic, where everything has to be just right. And they may weigh themselves five, six, seven times a day. Oh, wow. I know. 
And it's really sad when you think of all the energy that goes in to monitoring their own body. And a lot of that focuses on their abdomen. You know, a lot of that focuses on what's happening between morning and night. And we know that in the morning you wake up slightly dehydrated and you're going to feel thinner. And yet during the day it's not that you gain that weight, it's just that fluid has come back into a lot of the areas and people feel, quote, fatter. And that's when they tend to increase their exercise. So how do you get them to eat? Um, first of all, we give several, we serve six very small meals a day. And what that does is it makes it tolerable. Because if you try to do a breakfast, a lunch, and a dinner, it's too overwhelming. The other thing that can happen is that when you're exercising, the blood flow goes to your larger muscles, your legs, your arms. And the blood flow to the gut gets decreased. It's almost like that fight-or-flight response. Right. And so what happens is if people are minimizing the amount of food they're taking in, pretty soon their GI tract isn't working the same way. And they've done studies where people who restrict food, uh, where they've dropped a pressure balloon into the stomach and they've measured the pressures between people who are normal eaters and people who restrict food. And normally when we're ready, when we smell something or it's time for lunch or it's time for dinner, there are certain gut hormones that go to the stomach and tell it to relax in order to receive the food. And smells can, can produce those hormones uh, or cause the hormone production. But what they found with people who restrict food, their stomachs remain rigid. And so when they say to me, Dr. Berkus, I can't eat another bite, I believe them. It's painful. Interesting. On that note, it's time for us to go to break. We're going to talk more about eating disorders and exercise addiction with Dr. Vicki Berkus. So stay tuned. We'll be right back. Find out what's happening on the World Talk Radio Network. Find out about new shows, featured guests, and what's up this week. Find us on Facebook by searching keyword World Talk Radio. Step up to the microphone. View the finalists right now on VoiceAmericaKids.tv. America's next great star is waiting to be discovered. Step up to the microphone is an exclusive presentation for VoiceAmerica.tv, where you can see and hear America's next top child star. The program is hosted by Voice America's own Cassie Frazier, and new episodes will be available every week exclusively at VoiceAmericaKids.tv. You can say you saw them at the beginning of their superstar career. Tune in to VoiceAmericaKids.tv. World Talk Radio presents a new kind of health awareness talk show, The Sharon Kleina Hour, Health, Environment, and the Power of Water. Show host Sharon Kleina interviews leading scientists to discover how each of us can become proactive in protecting our personal health environment in an increasingly unhealthy world. Every show offers new information that could save your life. The Sharon Kleina Hour is health from an environmental perspective, your ultimate source for a personal environmental lifestyle. Mondays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the World Talk Radio. Radio Variety Channel. The World Talk Radio Variety Channel. You are tuned in to the Self Improvement Show with your host, Dr. Irene Conlon. 
Got a question for Irene or her guests? Call into our live show at 1-866-613-1612. That's 1-866-613-1612. Connect with Irene via email. Our address is theselfimprovementblog at gmail.com. Now, let's get back to the Self-Improvement Show. Here again is Dr. Irene Conlon. Welcome back to the Self-Improvement Show. This is Irene Conlon. My guest today is Dr. Vicki Burgess, and we're talking about exercise addiction. Before the break, we were talking about the importance of getting nutrition into people, how we can, how you can get them to eat. What else is a part of the program uh, to ease people out of exercise addiction? Well, the first thing is, like I said, to refeed, refeed the brain. And the brain needs glucose, and glucose is stored as glycogen in the liver. So those first two weeks sometimes if someone's been restricting and compulsively exercising, it's just a matter of refeeding so they can make good decisions. In other words, they need to be to a point of nourishment where they can then start to look at how they're making decisions. What are their priorities? How do they gain a sense of self or internal well-being without the exercise? That must be a, a, a real challenge since they've really bound their self, sense of self up with, so much with just how they look. You're right. You're right. And for a lot of people, that new awareness that comes by going to treatment of what are my feelings? Because a lot of times the exercise just numbs the feelings. Do you introduce them to meditation at all to get more of a sense of self? We use several ancillary processes. We use uh, biofeedback. We use EMDR. We use sensory neuro um, stimulation. We use massage. We use acupuncture. We use there's several ways of helping to ground people and to try to decrease that level of anxiety that I talked about. Do you let them exercise? Well, initially, my my conversation with them is that I need to get to know them metabolically. And if I add in exercise those first two weeks, that just um, adds to the the confusion. And when I talk about exercise, most people at that point aren't, exercising to burn calories because whether you walk or run a mile, you're going to burn 100 calories. Well, when you think that a pound of fat has 3,500 calories, I don't know about you, but I don't run 35 miles a day. No, I don't either. And it's not even a full pound of fat because the body obviously is metabolizing, and so you probably have to run 50 miles to burn one pound of fat. And so when people hear that, it sort of is a rude awakening. But to decrease the anxiety, that's where we try to help start using these ancillary services and, and learning some therapeutic ways of helping them understand the sources of that anxiety and whether the tools we can teach them. Do you have any idea what the success rate is? Are you able, Have you had the program long? This is a fairly new program, isn't it? Well, see, our two sons, we're just celebrating... Um, our 30th anniversary, so we've been around for, I'm sorry, 20th anniversary, we've been around for quite a while. Has the exercise addiction program been there all this time? Um, well, pretty, yeah, we've had the eating disorders program, which we take the um, exercise addiction. I think our knowledge has increased over the last 
five to ten years because it's more appropriate to talk about it. But uh, we, what we found is that if people follow, 95% of our patients at PR Tucson can uh, go on to a continuing care program because what I call our level of hospitalization is the discovery part of recovery. Then the real recovery starts when they leave. And there's always that voice in their head saying, you gotta, gotta, gotta. And if someone can change that to, I want to exercise instead of, I gotta exercise, that's part of the battle. Ah. Uh, is, uh, is obsession with appearance almost always at the seat of this, or have they just gradually gotten into exercise and, and have just, you know, grown into think I mean, to, I mean actually they really are compulsive about exercise but you know has is, is it all stemmed from appearance well or? i think there's a genetic sort of tendency to get involved in any obsessive behavior and i think what happens when people start to exercise and they get the positive feedback you're looking better you're looking good they get to a point where that that's sort of a high and then they they sort of lose the control now where Where's the the line? How much is too much exercise when it takes control? When it takes control, and like I said, it moves into the I have to as opposed to I want to. If a person is what you would consider mentally fit, will they be able to realize the trouble they're in or at this point... Are they on the line and about to go over the edge? Well, most of them are in denial because if they were did have a healthy brain at that point, they would be able to see what's happening. Like I said, there's a lot of comorbidities happening with this, whether it's a mood disorder or, or um, whether they're into other compulsive behaviors. There's usually something else going on. And so with a brain that's not nourished and a body that's pushed to the hilt in terms of no um, resources to draw on. Um, people usually come in thinking I'm not that bad, and family members think, well, they're not that bad, until they start to, to get educated. And then they say, oh, my gosh, how did I get in so much trouble? Right. You wrote a book called The Ten Commitments to Mental Fitness, I wish I'd found that book earlier. I just, you know, found it a, a couple of days ago and didn't have time to get it. But you have some wonderful points. I did enough research to get the gist of it. Can you talk a little bit about what you include in the Ten Commitments? I almost, I want to call it the Ten Commandments. Commandments, I know. Um, you know what? It's just a very basic, you know, what are the basics about getting back in touch with you? Until we set ourselves as a priority, no one else is going to in terms of how we feel about ourselves. And a lot of people have never made themselves a priority. Right, right. And a lot of people don't stop and start their day with checking in with themselves. They're so busy hitting the road or going to work or taking care of the kids or getting everybody ready for their day that they don't stop and say, well, wait a minute, how am I feeling about me right now? How am I feeling about my day? And then, you know, am I anxious? Am I sad? Am I carrying over anger? Am I carrying over fear? What do I need to do about that? Now, is, um, t give us some of the, the other things that you have in your list of ten. 
Okay, well, another thing is how do I feel um, about significant others in my life and how do we interact? Another one is how do I set my priorities? What are my spiritual, you know, focus and, and what's important to me? Do you and deal with spiritual focus at Sierra Tucson? Yes, we do. It's a large component of our treatment. And I'm not saying that, that it has to do with an organized religion, but in a way it's, it's looking at what gives our life's purpose. Well, see, I'm really glad to hear that because I think, you know, it's such an important component that generally gets left out. Oh, it's, it's, it's huge. And people are so grateful to reconnect. And that's one thing that's special about Sierra Tucson. We are in the mountains. It's a beautiful facility. We have a kiva. We have a walking path. We have stars that are unbelievable. Because oh, no Tucson's a wonderful place. It is. <laughs> yeah. and, and people do reconnect with their spirituality. And we have spirituality. And what else? Uh, other things might be uh, how do we set priorities? How we, how do we confront others? How do we take care of our feelings? How do we identify our feelings? And just some practical things. You know, I'll, I'll tell people, you know, if you're, we're all drivers. We know as drivers we're going to hit red lights. Well, some days we don't mind that. We're listening to our favorite song or we're driving and it's fine. Other days we want to reach out and grab that person ahead of us by the throat because in our minds, if that person just drove faster, we would have made the light. Well, it's not about the light. It's about what's going on with us at that moment. So I ask people to pick a barometer if it's being put on hold on a phone, if it's at a red light. You know, what is it that you know about yourself that you're going to react differently on different days? So it's really a way of self-awareness, just using humor and using a lot of just typical day-by-day situations. I'm assuming, too, that you do some group work down there. Do they, and my guess is that people who are in your program are very compassionate with one another. Am I wrong on that, or do they really help each other in a group setting? There is a a terrific sense of intimacy that grows among the patients in their primary groups. And when you think about it, it's probably for a lot of them the first time they've been as honest and they've been around people that have been as honest in their whole life. And I tell anybody that goes through treatment that their awareness of how people behave, what people say, how they treat them, what the expectations are is going to change. And it will serve them in their relationships, in their work, and in their future lives. So it's very important as far as how they support one another. It's important, even if you don't have an addiction, how much we can support each other. It is. Remember the old days at camp where you thought those were going to be your best friends forever? Uh Uh-huh. Sort of the same thing. Sort of the same thing. On that note, it's time to take another break. This is Irene Conlon with my guest, Dr. Vicki Burkus, saying stay tuned. We're going to be back with more in a moment. We're making it easier to listen to the World Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Oh, do it with 
Meet best-selling authors, find tantalizing new books, learn the latest healthy living tips, and be inspired to coach yourself to success on Star Style. Be the star you are every Thursday from 3 to 4 p.m. Pacific Time on World Talk Radio. The Oprah of the Airwaves, Cynthia Bryan, and her health hero daughter, Heather Brittany, fire up the airwaves with upbeat, positive, life-changing talk radio. It's the Power Hour on Star Style. Be the star you are. Thursdays from 3 to 4 p.m. Pacific on the World Talk Radio Variety Channel. Come play with us. The World Talk Radio Variety Channel. You are tuned in to the Self-Improvement Show with your host, Dr. Irene Conlon. Got a question for Irene or her guests? Call into our live show at 1-866-613-1612. That's 1-866-613-1612. Connect with Irene via email. Our address is theselfimprovementblog at gmail.com. Now, let's get back to the Self-Improvement Show. Here again is Dr. Irene Conlon. Welcome back to the Self-Improvement Show. This is Irene Conlon with my guest, Dr. Vicki Burkus. We've been talking about exercise addiction. We've talked about what it looks like, you know, the harm that that happens to your body, uh, some of the treatment. And I'd like to talk a little bit about how you help the family, how you help them get ready to have this person come home. How do you teach them to give the kind of support this person needs? You know, what what are your programs for the family or the program for significant others? Uh, we have a fabulous uh, four-day family program in which the family comes in and has their own therapist and the patient has their own primary group. And for the first three days, there's no contact between the patient and their family. Only three they're days. Because doing process work in the group. The three days that the family's there, you mean? Right. What about... During their stay, is there a period of time when they come in that they don't talk to anybody from home? Well, in, uh, well, they, they are allowed phone privileges. And it is a voluntary, um, hospital. Right. So, um, you know, we may ask them to limit calls if there's a codependent relationship going on, uh, or if it's interfering with their treatment. Uh, but when their families come for family week, they do have dinner with them that first night, and then there's a no-contact rule. And there is visitation on the weekends. So it's, it's, they're not that isolated, but for most of our patients are from out of town. So people plan on that family week as the major time when a lot of the work gets done. And we have a sign that says, expect a miracle as you drive up to CR Tucson. And I can't tell you the number of times families walk out and say, we've gotten ours. This has been magical. I would think when they see light in their their loved one's eyes again, you know, when they see that they can have a conversation, a real conversation again, if they ever have, um, that that would seem like a miracle. It is. And, and it's a way to heal. It's a way to get healthier. It's a way to reconnect. And I've seen such powerful things happen during that family week. 
do you find that there's usually one person in the family that really helped push this person over the edge, you know, a husband who keeps nagging about their wife's size or whatever? There can obviously be influences that um, help someone develop into their into the severity or keep them in the severity of their disease, but it's not the only reason. You know, 20, uh, 20 years ago, we used to blame the mom. We don't do that anymore. It's a multifactorial disease, and family needs to be educated. There's already a lot of guilt and shame around the behaviors and around the fact that they just have to be in treatment, and we don't want to add to that. What we do is we're not pointing fingers. That's not our job. Our job is to help people identify what behaviors are working and what isn't and teach them some new ways to behave and how to get help when they leave CR Tucson. What are the things the family needs most to know? To get rid of the secrets. I think the family needs to understand, number one, that it's the patient's recovery, not theirs. They can't be psychiatrists. They can't be nutritionists. They can't be coach. They have to be mom or dad. And we give them some guidelines on how to do that. Um, but it, it's really hard, any parent knows, it's really hard to watch someone act out in a self-defeating manner. Oh, it's the hardest thing a parent can ever have to endure. It is. And I, and I want to say to some of the patients, you know, my, I remember my mom saying, wait till you're a parent. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and how true that is. <laughs> yeah. When something happens to your child, you'd much prefer that it happened to you. I know. And so parents come and they're afraid and there's, and the, the, you know, there's anger, there's fear, there's sadness and what they, the take home message is it's okay to have all those feelings. We'll deal with them. And we'll teach the patient and the family how to deal with those feelings. And you know, with older individuals, they've, many of them have never known how to deal with their own feelings, much less have somebody else, you know, allow somebody else to have theirs. I know. I know. I mean, generations, you didn't talk about feelings. It we grew okay up on TV that everything was wonderful and you did, home, yeah. uh, you know, housework in your high heels and you know, that yeah. kind of That's Those four-letter words, good, I'm fine. <laughs> yes, yes. Everything's always wonderful. You didn't yeah. let anybody see how you feel. Boys don't cry. Right. Um, and they don't know. So I would think that what you give the family is also very helpful personally to them oh, as well. And we make recommendations for their own continued growth. And what do you see then as follow-up? Uh, follow-up occurs on a level system. I'd say being in a program like CR Tucson is almost like being in a womb. You're you're isolated from phones and, and computers and the bill collectors and, and the attorneys. And, and when you step down from a program like ours, we ask that you go to another program that also provides more freedom but also has a great safety net in terms of support. So is that a halfway house kind of situation? No, that might be a residential facility, but not with the same level of medical care that we offer. So it's a 24-7 type of step down. And then from there, you might go to 
what we call an intensive outpatient program where you live close and attend maybe during the day, whether that's three days a week or five days a week. And then you go to an intense, um, and then you go into an outpatient program, which is your therapist and your psychiatrist and your nutritionist or your, you know. And, and so out. at that point, you're home. A lot of times you are, but, you know, I've also had patients that say, Dr. Burkus, I can't go back and live at the beach, or I can't go back and live with all my athlete buddies because I'll be right back into it. So how then do they find a place that they can function? Well, a lot of times they've had peers in treatment that have gone to certain continuing care facilities or they have relatives or they have vacationed with family in different areas or there's a college or there's a job somewhere where they may have opportunities where they could transfer. And so they're willing to, to make sometime life changes in order not to go back into their addictions. And I would think that after this, when they do find a place that they can feel more stable, the success rate is really high. Right. If they're following their recovery program and have the support they need and their awareness is up, no one can take that new awareness away from them. So they know exactly what they need to do to continue to have success. What an amazing program. It is. It is. I agree. I'll brag. How much, you know, if you could get the media to do one thing, to make one kind of change that would help prevent some of this obsession with body image, what would you do with them? Um. We've come a long way. We've we've addressed the size of the very thin model. We've also addressed the idea of using body parts for advertisements, whether it's a leg, whether it's an arm, whether it's just the torso with no head, and to obviously look at a healthy body at all sizes and stress health rather than weight. I saw the other day on the news that some department store had bought normal size mannequins. Isn't that, isn't that novel and, and makes sense? <laughs> I thought it was interesting to be on the news. Yeah. And, and was delighted. Yeah, we're right up against the end of the show, Dr. Burkus. What is the thought that you'd like to leave with our listeners today? I would like to say anybody that's struggling deserves help. And whether, um, you don't know where to turn or whether or how to get that help, call us at Sierra Tucson. And we'll help. Can you give them a number? Uh, 1-800. I'm sorry, 1-520-624-4000. And I know Sierra Tucson must have a website. What is that website? That's just www.sierratucson.com. Easy enough. Sierra Tucson. Remember, Tucson is in southern Arizona. Sierra, Sierra Tucson, just like that. Uh, if you know somebody who has a, a food addiction or an exercise addiction, almost any addiction, this is a wonderful, wonderful place to go. Uh, next week's show, we're going to have Dr. Cynthia Andrews, who's going to be talking about emotions. We probably all need to hear about that. Dr. Burkus, thank you so, so much for being with us today. Well, it's been my pleasure. Thank you. You're, 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 you know, we'll, we'll have to have you back and, and talk about eating disorders because that's another topic that's really critical. I'd love to. Super. This is Irene Conlon with my guest, Dr. Vicki Burkus, saying thank you for being with us today.
Come back again next week for more of the Self-Improvement Show. Thank you again for joining Dr. Irene Conlon for the Self-Improvement Show. Please listen again next Thursday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 noon Pacific Time on the World Talk Radio Variety Channel. Remember that improvement out there starts in here. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the World Talk Radio Network. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit worldtalkradio.com. The World Talk Radio Network, where the world comes to talk. The views and ideas expressed in the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the World Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.